This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon and Julian McKenzie on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. It's hour two, Sportsnet Today. Logan Gordon and Julian McKenzie along with us on a Thursday. Flames game day. It's the Flames and the Boston Bruins. Six o'clock Flames warm up with Pat Steinberg. Seven o'clock puck drop. Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson right here on your home of uh, Flames Hockey Sportsnet 960. The fan busy hour one. Setting you up for tonight's game. Also taking a look at the Flames prospect pool with Scott Wheeler of The Athletic. If you missed any of it, check us out on the podcast, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite pod catcher. Shorter show on Wednesday, so we have to move our conversation with our next guest to a Thursday, but it works out well because we get, uh, get to add Julian into the conversation. We're going to go down the Atlas Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline. Lots to talk about with our next guest. She's the one, the only, Ailish Forfar. Host of the fan pregame on Sportsnet. What's up, Ailish? How are you? Happy Thursday, guys. I'm glad that we fit this in because I was devastated yesterday when I got bumped for just a Olympic gold medalist, Sarah Nurse. But I get it. I get how it works. No problem. Oof. Tough. I get it, though. It's a tough one. It was, it was literally my, my boss was like, who has more world championships? And I had to say, I had to say Sarah, unfortunately. So I had to move Ailish oh, to Thursday, so. That's okay. I, we had her on our show yesterday, too, so we just, you know, I gave her a look. I said, I was 960. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, it was really sweet. They're really nice. I'm like, I know. Yeah. They're my friends, okay? <laughs> hey, don't you ever do that again, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, isn't she the best, though? Like, honestly, like, I'm sure you would know, uh, have more interactions with her than I would, but she just seemed like, she seems like a really genuine person. I love what she's doing with with Nursey Night and and the Black mm-hmm. Girls Club and everything. Like she's just so cool, and and obviously she's so talented too. Yeah, it's been really sweet to follow her journey. Like we played against each other growing up, and then collegiately, and uh, I guess also professionally. We never were on the same team, so I've only got to know her as like a, a badass competitor. But now getting to know her more through like the personal side and going through the, the fight for women's hockey. And now what she does in terms of her extra time, like they I don't have a lot of extra time. They're Olympians, they're world champions. As you mentioned, now they're professional hockey players, but she won't let a season go by, even if it's an inaugural season without finding a way to help others, without finding a way to use her platform. Uh, and she's got probably one of the biggest women's hockey platforms. Uh, so she's finding a way to do that. And I'm just really impressed because there's so much going on. They just started this league so quickly um they're building it up their season isn't even halfway done and she's finding a way uh, to corporate nursing nights where she gets to bring out um black girl hockey players and it's just it's such a wonderful simple but meaningful idea so really great to get a chance to catch up with her she was a bit uh also pissed at me i wasn't making any friends <laughs> oh, no. because because uh friday night last week was the battle of bay street and you know my my uh, besties are in Montreal, but yes. I'm there watching Toronto, and I had a sign for Laura Stacy, and she saw it. She goes, "Oh, where's your sign for Laura?" And I'm like, <laughs> oh, "You know, no. actually, the other the other side said Laura uh, said Sarah Nurse." She goes, "No, it didn't." And I'm like, "I know, guys, I know." 
So, you know what? It's kind of fun. Like, I got I got multiple fan bases. I got to try to, I guess, tiptoe into both. I'm, I'm kind of cheating on one. But, no, it's been uh, it's been great, honestly. Everything about the PWHL has continued to surprise me. But what Sarah does, um, you know, is something really special. So, it was, uh, it was good that she got a lot of coverage yesterday, and I hope it continues. Sticking with the P-Dub, a couple days ago, an attendance record being set in Toronto, uh, not just for the league, but for women's hockey as a whole, 19,000. 000- 285 at a PWHL game at Scotiabank Arena. This number keeps changing from, it was in the, just the thousands. Now we're in the tens of thousands. I still think uh, it, it takes nothing. It should be taking nothing for the Bell Center in Montreal to have a P-Dub game there to break that record. I just want your overall <laughs> thoughts on the fact that the attendance record for women's games has been, you know, going up in recent weeks and just the overall interest in the league especially from a national and even in the U.S. uh, from their standpoints, uh, your thoughts on how that growth has been going. It's been so awesome. And I got the chance to go on Friday night, as I said, but I mean, I've been to many, many Scotiabank Arena hockey games. We we go all the time for the Maple Leafs games. I was the in-arena host for the Maple Leafs, where it was my goal to make the arena loud. I remember and that. Never, ever, never, ever was it what it was on, on Friday night. Like, I can honestly say that and not biased because, as I said, my job was to make the Leafs fans out loud. So just being in that setting, knowing how incredible the moment was, seeing the players almost in awe, like, you know, they have the, the shots of them on the bench and, they're focused. It's a regular season hockey game. This isn't some one-off, like, you know, uh, special event. But I know that it meant so much to them. And the best part of this is every bar, every, you know, checkpoint that has been set for women's hockey continues to be hit, as you mentioned. Okay, season tickets sold out instantly. Good luck getting to a game. Here, we're going to get a massive nhl size ring. Can you sell it out? Oh, no problem. Tickets sold out instantly. And now it's like, what else can we, what else can we set as a goal? They're already talking expansion. They're playing two out of market games in March, uh, one in Detroit, one in Pittsburgh, because they want to explore other markets. The revenue is coming in. The social media coverage is, it hits you in the face. You can't avoid it. And it's awesome. They've got streaming on YouTube where the other day I was watching um, like a split screen. I had my laptop open just to check the YouTube. 15,000 people streaming, people from Brazil in the chat, people from the UK, Australia watching. Like, what else do you want us to prove that women hockey, women's sports really should be invested in, should be appreciated, should be cherished, and should be promoted? It's like, it's been so outstanding. And the play on the ice is just as good. It's even been better because now they've gotten their feet under them. They got the nerves out of the way. They're starting to build team chemistry. Like, Keep in mind, they created these teams really quickly from a brand new roster. Like this wasn't year two where you add three players. This was, hello, here's 25 new players trying to get together, create a culture, create an identity, get systems, X, Y, Z. And now we're cooking. Now there's real, real um, camaraderie. There's rivalry. So I just, I'm so, so impressed every time I get a chance to go. And actually this weekend, it's funny you mentioned Montreal, Julian. I'm headed to Montreal to watch uh, their game on Saturday. As I said, like a big Montreal girl. Uh, But I'm headed out there to watch. uh, They've got a game against Ottawa. And it's just a Saturday afternoon game. Can't get a ticket. Good thing I've got a connection. But it's just awesome. Like last week, they also set a record with 10,000. And I'll say my wink, wink, nudge, nudge um, discussion, as I've been hearing, that there might be an opportunity to play at the big barn in mm-hmm. Montreal. I'm telling uh, you. So I think I think that they're going to try to do that. There's one final game on the schedule. I think it's the very end of April. 
Uh, I think it's against Minnesota, and I think that they have been discussing maybe moving that one uh, to the Bell Center. So we'll see. But either way, like you can't get a ticket to most of these games, uh, which is uh, kind of a blessing and a curse, but everything has been beyond belief. I'm really proud uh, that it's working out so well. That's crazy that you have to tap into your connections to get that. We already have FOMO here in Calgary because we don't have a PWHL franchise, but you, I mean, come on. Like you have all these connections to players, you're hanging out with them, and you got to go up to them and be like, Hey, can you uh, leave me like two tickets Literally. at the door? We'll call. Like, like that's crazy. Like that's what I have to do. Like I'm going to Montreal, I'm flying to Montreal, and I have to luckily uh, use my connections to get tickets because I can't get tickets any other way. Which I think is really special. One thing I worry about is that you know I bought season tickets for Toronto, and um, most people in that it's a small barn. It's about twenty eight hundred when it's for hockey. Like. If it's the same 2,800 going to every game, I worry that, like, what about those people that want to bring their kids? What about those those people that want to bring a, a hockey team, et cetera? So I think by moving that barn maybe next year or the year after to something that holds a larger capacity just allows for more fans to get into it because the resale prices, as, as crazy as it sounds, it's in the hundreds of dollars to get into a game if you want to see it. And sometimes that, that obviously that closes the accessibility for, for a lot of people to be able to go to the game. So expansion out of market is important, but I think even expansion in the city to make sure that they can get a little bit of a bigger arena, like just for Toronto speaking, uh, will just allow more people the chance to go see it because once you, once you get your foot in the door, it's just so awesome uh, to experience. Go for it. Okay, cool. Um, so let's transition over to the Toronto Maple Leafs. They were in the big barn last night. Yes, they were. Uh, the biggest <laughs> barn in Arizona. <laughs> Huge. And Huge. Austin Matthews has been having himself an incredible season. And mm. I have to admit, it's been very difficult to keep track of the goal pace that he's on. Depending on who you look at, it might be 73. It might be 75. <laughs> it might be 78. Can we set the record straight right now on Calgary Radio? How, what is the goal pace that Austin Matthews is on right now? And also, to be more serious, just put into perspective what his season has been. Okay. I think in my last mathematical uh, analysis that we are at 76. But don't, don't uh, you know, I did go to an Ivy League school, but don't, you know, I didn't take math there, folks. So uh, don't look at my math transcripts. I'm going to say 76. But what's more important is, like, it's just the way he's scoring goals, the inevitability of it every night. Like, we knew last night, Arizona 50. Like, Elliot Friedman, David Amber on the on television said it's a lock. When those guys are saying lock, like, you believe it. Um, so, last night was so awesome to watch. Of course, doing it, you know, with his family in the stands and, and a lot of other people that meant a lot to him in, in Arizona. Uh, already a story of, of not a lot of people coming out of Arizona playing NHL hockey, of course. So, you just know that that meant a lot to him. And he gets another one at 51. And it, 70 is feeling so so just normal to throw out the word 70 when you talk about Austin Matthews and uh, we're prepping for our show later, which we'll obviously discuss uh, Matthews, but I was reading Elliot Friedman's 32 uh, thoughts article up on sportsnet.ca. And I think we're starting to have the discussion about like, is that the most valuable player in the league, right? Somebody that scores 70 plus goals, it's probably pretty difficult to give the heart trophy to someone else. But I actually think that this discussion throughout the next couple of months will be maybe the most interesting heart discussion we've had, because if, if Matthew scores 70, you know, most of the time, those people that get 70 goal seasons, they get the heart trophy, but 
You've got Nathan McKinnon, who's basically been the front runner this entire season, also hasn't won it himself. You've got, obviously, Connor McDavid, who has willed this team out of the basement, uh, and he might do something that you kind of expected him to do regardless, but in a very short turnaround time. You've got um, Kucherov, who we kind of even forget about, maybe because he's in our division, we try not to, to pretend he exists, but he is obviously doing incredible things too. So you have four players doing what MVP caliber stuff can be done, but all in different formats, right? So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the like the viewers or the, the voters look at this but even last week like I got in the Matthews heart at like 14 to 1 and this morning he's plus 280 to win the heart like that is such a drastic change because people are like if you score a hat trick every week I mean you, you kind of are the most valuable player but the word valuable is just a hard one to kind of um, summarize because you're valuable in a different way into every franchise so getting to talk about Austin Matthews every day it's getting almost like what other words? I need a thesaurus to talk about, like excellence, greatness, generational. I'm going to start pulling up words that are like SAT practice session words um, to you know keep my vocabulary going. But yeah, it's it's pretty unbelievable, and he just does it effortless, effortlessly. Like yesterday, one goes off his sternum, and we're just laughing because that's just. When you're hot, you're hot. You're going to score. It doesn't matter how. It's going to go in the net, and he still doesn't have an empty netter, and he's leading the league in the most crossbars and most posts, so he could probably have way more. It's pretty – it's unbelievable. Here's one thing that's intrigued me about the discussion with Austin Matthews and his MVP candidacy. What happens a lot with the Hart Trophy discussion and just any trophy that has MVP, sometimes what happens is we see a player do really well – and we just think, okay, they should be it. And then it gets into a discussion about, oh, is it the MVP or the most outstanding mm-hmm. player? But in the case of Austin Matthews, he's doing this on a team that, and, and please tell me if I'm wrong, I don't think this Leafs team holds a candle to some of the other regular season teams we've seen mm-hmm. over the last how many years. There was an instance where a couple games ago, before this winning streak that they were on, they were fighting for a wild-card spot. Now that the tables have kind of turned a little bit and they find themselves in that top three, and they're a couple points up on Tampa Bay, and and there are people talking about what the Leafs should be doing at the deadline and people making the argument that Brad Treeliving should be standing pat. But <laughs> when you have a player like Austin Matthews delivering the way that he's delivering every night, you can't waste a season like this. And if off of that logic you you go with that for the trade deadline, Shouldn't that also support him for the Hart Trophy as well? A thousand percent. Um, and not even like Homer's bias, but this team was down bad. Like this team, we were using the word mid. Like they're a mid team. Then they went through this controversy or, or this, I, I guess, like a challenging period of time where they actually showed some teeth, right? Um, you've got no Morgan Riley for five games. You go 5-0. and oh. Yeah, it wasn't against the top echelon of the league, but Morgan Riley is your most important defenseman by a long shot they were icing a uh, defensive core that was mostly marley so that in its own is is pretty impressive that you find a way through that and you do that on the back of of austin matthews and bobby mcmahon is pretty amazing as well but yeah austin matthews and then you've got um an entire season where goaltending has been basically the second line in every article Ilya samsonov gets sent to the minors he goes through waivers he has like a hiatus where he finds himself and he's back but you can't circle goaltending as as a 
plus for this team. And at times it's been a a massive minus. Joseph Wall's been out for a while. He seems to be on, on the verge of coming back. But he's had injury concerns. We don't know what kind of Joseph Wall we're getting, and you don't want to push it because a high ankle sprain for a goaltender is nothing great. And, and Martin Jones was a really great success story for that stretch where he was shouldering a lot of load. But none of that is the reason that the Maple Leafs can say that they have found something here. It is their core four led by Austin Matthews. And Mitch Marner deserves so much credit. And I think he he gets lost in the conversation because we talked a lot about Willie and his contract. We talk a lot about Austin Matthews and the Hart Trophy and his 70-something goal pace. But, but Mitch Marner is setting up 90% of these goals. And he's not just doing it you know, uh, with fancy passes that look beautiful. He's doing it with hard work. He's doing it with a different, like, level of playmaking vision that these two have just connected on. Uh, so he deserves a lot of credit just in terms of getting Matthews to this number. So without Austin Matthews, you're right, this team is outside the wild card. There's just no doubt about it. We, we talked about the split stat. I don't have it up in front of me, but the amount of goals that Matthews has scored when the Maple Leafs are trailing a goal, when they're tied, to put them ahead is absolutely one of the most important stats about Austin Matthews. He's not just getting like the six, three goal, right? He's getting the goal when the Leafs are down three, nothing to get a spark in this team. He's getting the goal to push the Maple Leafs over the line to win a game. Um, And he's got, I think over 25% of the goals scored by the entire team himself, one person, which is something that hasn't been done uh, in the league in, in quite a few years. So yeah, that's the most valuable player on a team. And if this team does something, that's the most valuable player in the league in my current argument i it can definitely be made that he should be 1a uh or 1b for the way this heart trophy goes and if you're brad trey living you probably look at this team as okay they might have proven that this is a team worth buying for right and and it was crazy because i think maybe a couple weeks ago logan when we talked it was like "Eh, maybe you don't do anything maybe there's pieces you could sell off but i don't feel like that's the case well, maybe they just need to keep Morgan Riley out of the lineup. Maybe that's the the key to all of this, right? I think right? he's cursed. Yeah, yeah. obviously. <laughs> How like, you and me were talking about it when it happened, and I know we were going through that whole discourse about the whole Ridley Gregg thing. But mm-hmm. I've been really impressed with how this team stepped up in his absence because, mm-hmm. for me, Morgan Riley's the the key. I, I like Jake McCabe a lot. I know what he brings to that group, but I can't think of anyone more important on that blue line. To than Morgan Riley, and they've done pretty well without him. Yeah, it's it's been shocking because somebody that we had basically almost wrote off this team, Timothy Lilgren, who was further down the lineup, uh, has been a bright, bright star the last five games when Morgan Riley was out. And he's still young-ish, but he's not young enough that you can give him the benefit of the doubt of like, oh, you'll find your way. He's been someone that the Maple Leafs have wanted more from for quite a while. And all of a sudden, in Riley's absence, he's got like five points. He's uh, he's playing power play time. He's getting PK time. He's averaging like 18 minutes of ice time. And sometimes maybe you just need, as I said, some sort of uh, pushback or some sort of controversy that the Maple Leafs need to overcome. And whether they see these things as, ooh, woe is me, it doesn't matter because maybe Lilgren finds something. Maybe he finds a partnership that works on a top pairing. And, and yeah, when Morgan Raleigh steps back in tonight, he won't be. But maybe they just unlock something different defensively with this team. Maybe maybe Sheldon Keith learns that he can trust some more of uh, the defensemen on the Maple Leafs to play bigger minutes because Riley was, was just out 
outnumbering everyone at ice time by such a significant margin. So maybe he comes back in and they they take two minutes off his nightly uh, his nightly <clears throat> his time on ice because maybe they've trusted something different. So sometimes you find like a little bit of beauty in that, right? That a guy gets an opportunity like Bobby McMahon uh, <laughs> that we've seen, right? He got a chance to move up the lineup and it's clicking. So you ride those highs while you can. Having Morgan, back, Morgan Riley back in the lineup tonight is, is huge for the offensive side of it, but, you know, he isn't our strongest defensive defenseman. So hopefully the, the, the blue line kind of relied on that a bit, played a little bit better defensively up front as well, knowing that you're missing your top defense. So I hope those positive things, like, continue on throughout the next stretch and it's not just back to, like, Morgan Riley playing 29 minutes a night and, like, dragging his body around the ice and you're not giving a chance to some of the other guys. So that's, like, my optimist spin on – learning something from a guy being out of the lineup for, you know, five straight games. Hey, we stand Bobby McMahon out here. That's a Wainwright Alberta product. Yes. So we're all it's for the, the good story. We're up for the Bobby McMahon storyline. He played like <laughs> what, 11 minutes last night and he had a goal and an assist in the win. Like talk yeah, about maximizing so your great. opportunity. <laughs> it's been such a fun stretch. Right. And, and like, that's the beauty of sports. This guy, you know, he's playing in the ECHL. He's undrafted good old Alberta boy. And sometimes you just get hot and you get hot and the guys love seeing him get a chance when he got the belt, they're all posting it on their Instagram story. (laughs) Sometimes you just need a feel good story in the locker room from an unsuspecting candidate. Uh, He's only what, 27 years old. It's just, it's been really nice to see. Uh, He's not like a traditional prospect, but you should be thinking about what's next for Bobby McMahon. Somebody mentioned to me that he's a UFA. I don't even want to get into that, but they should be locking this kid up because watch some, uh, some rival Calgary flames might try to bring the guy home and we can't have that. Wow. (laughs) We're already at that point where we're starting to worry about UFAs, huh? We are Bobby McMahon. Like should we lock him up to an eight year, 8 million? Like what are we doing here? Eight Eight by eight eight for Bobby McMahon. Yeah. Let's You're gonna get radioed for that, Ailish. You're gonna get radioed for that. Yeah, don't do that. Uh, I don't. I don't know if Justin. Low, actually. I don't know it if Justin. I don't know if low. Justin Cuthbert would agree with that opinion. <laughs> yeah, when we Mr. Five O'clock Shadow, Justin Cuthbert, Captain Serious. Captain Serious is a good one. I've called him Captain Serious for years. Serious. I want to get that that Five O'clock shot. He's always got just the perfect amount of. <laughs> I just shaved this morning, but I'm still like. <laughs> Serious about it, you know. It's just tell him about that. Please do. This is hilarious. Uh, I gotta ask you before you go: Are you uh, a night owl? Are you able to stay up for these uh, these late ones out west, or are you gonna need some coffee or a couple energy (laughs) drinks? Because these are what the ten o'clock starts out in uh, in Toronto. Well, last night we were doing the game, right? So it was crazy. We had our one-hour show, which, yeah, boohoo, one hour. But then we had two and a half hours in between our TV show to our radio show. So, like, we went out for wings, and we were just, like, getting a bit sluggish because we just sat at the bar and we watched, uh, you know, some of the games on sports. And we came back to the office, and I was like, man, we maybe should have taken a nap because I'm not getting, like, fired up for a 9.30 radio call. But tonight we don't have the game um, on radio, so it would be nice to go home and, and kick my feet up. But after two years on the morning show, when I'm getting up at 4.30, I don't think I have a normal sleep schedule. Like, my body just says it's time whenever it yeah. says it's time. 
fall asleep sideways on the couch tonight watching the Vegas Golden Knights. But, you know, hopefully with like the Stanley Cup champs uh, and the Leafs that they give me enough to, to keep me entertained. So at least I don't have to get up at 430. I'll never complain about sleep again. Uh, you're the best, Dalish. Always appreciate the time. Uh, appreciate you jumping on with us on a Thursday instead of a Wednesday. You know, you know, we yeah, appreciate anytime. it. So uh, enjoy the game tonight. You know, we'll chat soon. Hey. All right, guys. Good to chat. Thanks, pal. Take care. Ailish Forfar joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, host of the fan pregame show on Sportsnet and also on Sportsnet 590. The fan, you've graced the fan pregame show uh, before with Justin and Ailish. Julia? Yeah, I go back with uh, with those two, back uh, when we were all at uh, Yahoo Sports Canada uh, doing a variety of different things. Uh, I remember in the pandemic, we were all... All three of us were on like a show together. Like they were doing like just content just yep. around the the pandemic and NHL stuff. And there was a time where like all three of us were on a show together. So the fact that uh, seeing Ailish and Justin do well out in Toronto, uh, they were on the morning show. And now they have the show they have now. Like I, I feel a sense of pride just as as former coworkers of theirs, and uh, I consider them friends too. Uh, so yeah, really happy to see that they're doing well. And uh, anytime they want me on, and I'm I'm happy to be on. Yeah, uh, Ailish is killing him. Uh, I tell her all the time. She's been she's, killing it. She's, she's been killing uh, it. She's doing really awesome. I love that I have her on the show every week. She's just a ball of energy and uh, appreciate her joining us as she always does. Another one, another great guest coming up. This is a great hour uh, of guests that oh, kill on a regular baby. basis. Yes. Uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Adnan Verk. I look us. forward to his spot like every week. Like <laughs> that's how good to. it is because it's like. I mean, I'm still thinking about that time he tore Tom Cruise to shreds <laughs> and had us laughing. Add that Verk, the fact that we have him on the show, just a testament to how good the show is. Uh, he's Julian McKenzie. I'm Logan Gordon. We're back with Adnan Verk in just moments to close out another edition of Sportsnet today. You're on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Logan J-Mac along with you. Closing out hour two on a Flames game day. Flames and Bruins, the one visit a season. For the Boston Bruins happens Thursday night at the Scotiabank Sandodome. Jacob Markstrom gets the start. Jacob Peltier not ready to return to the lineup. He did skate with the team, but it'll be Dryden Hunt on the fourth line with Kevin Rooney and Walker Dewar. Flames coverage starts at six. With Buck Drop just after seven here on Sportsnet 960. The fan. Closing out the hour by going down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to welcome in our pal from MLB Network, NHL Network, and, of course, the Cinephile Podcast. Always enjoy our chats with Adnan Verk. AV, happy Thursday. How are you, pal? I'm doing great, Logo. Julian, a pleasure as always, pal. What's going on? Uh, lots to talk about, man. Spring training's underway. Uh, the players don't like these new jerseys. They're a little showy in the pants, I guess, and... Uh, a couple of key free agents haven't been signed yet. We got uh, a ton to dive into. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. The um, the free agent thing, man. I I still can't believe it. But like it's, I mean, it's literally late February, and like four of the biggest free agents have not signed. I've never seen anything like it. I know in the past we've seen some free agents go late in the year, but honestly, by the time pitchers and catchers report, everyone's pretty much there. Maybe there's one outlier. It's pretty shocking to me to say. As I look back at this free agency, I'm like, all right, Otani, biggest fish out there. But as expected, went to the Dodgers. I didn't think he'd get $700 million, but if I go to the Dodgers, he did. Soto, massive move going to the Yankees. Okay, that's big. But the four dudes still sitting there waiting. The fact that we're still waiting for Bellinger, Snell, Montgomery, and Chapman, it's, uh, it's borderline inconceivable, except it, 
It's happened, so it is conceivable. And I think the news from today, the fact that Kodai Senga is not going to be ready for opening day for the Mets, I think that's interesting because it's put a little more pressure now on Stevie Cohen, who's got all that money there with the New York Mets. Because the Mets aren't supposed to contend this season, but Montgomery to me is the kind of guy, like, you're not just trying to win now. Like, he's going to get a five, six-year deal. He's a very good pitcher. And as you saw in the postseason, he's great. So I'm curious if, if this is what's going to happen, fellas, if there's an injury or two, a setback here or there, all of a sudden, if that's what Scott Boris wants, a super agent that drives the price up for his guys and a team is willing to shell out their money. Now we'll see. Now we'll see if someone jumps and says, all right, you know what? One of my guys went down. Fine. I'll give Snell five for 150, which is allegedly what the Yankees have. That offer is there on the table. So we'll see. I, I still can't believe it, though. We got baseball going on right now as we speak. First spin yep. training game, Dodgers, Padres, most four guys still have not signed. Do you agree with a guy like Justin Turner who signed with the Blue Jays? He's been pretty vocal about the last couple of days in Dunedin about it being sort of a black eye on baseball that, you know, whether it's the owners and, the, you know, I know the players believe that there's collusion to bring down the prices in the market for free agents or just the general thought that it's a bad look for baseball and, you know, knowing that these guys have their lives to figure out, Virk, from a personal level, like it's not just – hey, I'm going to fly to New York and, and start with the Yankees if you're Blake Snell. It's, you know, moving potentially your family and your kids and figuring out your life as the season's, as you mentioned, already gotten going in spring training. Yeah, that's what, you know, I was talking to, to Mike Lowell about that, you know, former World Series MVP of the Red Sox. That was the point he said to me. He goes, you know, I only ever had free agency once, and I think he said by November he was already signed. Like, he goes, I don't like the idea of having to wait and see where I'm going to go, especially when it's involving wives and children and other factors. Now, it's different because in today's game, again, Scott Boris is a super agent for good reason. He makes sure these guys are trained and well-equipped and, and ready to go. So, you know, baseball is a year-round sport now in terms of their training and physical regimen, right? Guys take a week or two off on vacation. Other than that, they're going. So he's pretty confident in terms of what he's telling his teams that, my guy's ready to go. Just because he's not in camp throwing long toss and sitting in 75-degree sunshine in Florida, Arizona, doesn't mean he's not chomping the bit. doesn't mean he's not going to be ready. The mental aspect, though, I do think is considerable. I think it depends on the guy. Apparently, these guys have been coached or trained or been taught that, listen, just be patient. Patience is a virtue. Don't lose your mind. Spring training is too long anyways. Maybe that's what they're being told, right? Spring training, a lot of guys, it should only be a month anyway. So, don't worry. Once we get to March 1st, we'll figure things out. Once guys get hurt, once teams realize there's more desperation, they'll make these moves. But I'm curious if someone does get left holding the bag. Of those four guys I mentioned, not all of them are going to get the five, six, seven-year deals they're all hoping for, right? I mean, if I tell you the numbers that they want, Bellinger's looking for seven years, 210. Snell wants five, 150 at least, or at least six for 180. Montgomery wants, I believe, five, and again, north of $100 million. Uh, Chapman was also looking for around $19, $20 million over five years. So we're all going to sit back and look at this. Okay, did those four guys get the deals they want, or did one or more have to sell for a two-year deal with a high AAV and an opt-out after one? Which, again, maybe isn't the worst thing in the world unless they go out there and lay an egg and have a bad season. Like, time is going to tell which strategy works best. Yeah, it feels as if as we as we see pitching and, and well, not just pitching, we're actually seeing games right now. It does feel like there's going to have to be like a prove it deal. Do you think at least just of all four that's most li- of that's still available that you just mentioned, who's still the most likely to at least get what they want into ter- at least something close as opposed to like a one year or a two year prove it deal? 
You know, Julian, I think it's now. Just because to me, if I look at resumes, I go, this guy's a two-time signing award winner. Now, I get the so-called negatives. He's a five-and-dive guy, doesn't pitch deep in the games. But his stuff is awesome. Like, he's going to rack up 230 strikeouts. Like, I have no issue if a guy's like, well, he's not really going to be that durable in terms of going late into games. Not like he misses starts. He just doesn't go late in games because he throws a lot of pitches and he walks a lot of guys. And that does cost him alarm field to go, oh, my God, this guy led the league in walks. But I kept looking at his DRA. Like, like Blake Snell won the sign convincingly. It wasn't even an argument because when you looked at all of his numbers, the strikeouts and ERA and whips specifically, you know, he was the guy. So I still think if I'm a team right now looking for a front-end starter, if I have money at my disposal, I will go and get Blake Snell. I know the asking price is probably too high, which is why it hasn't happened yet. But to me, if I'm looking at sheer talent, this guy can bring it. You know, Montgomery's a guy who, if you asked a couple of years ago, he's going to be a three-number-four starter. In the last couple of years, he really stepped up. And again, that postseason for Texas, he was tremendous. But I don't think you signed Jordan Montgomery as an ace of your team. I think Blake Snell can be an ace. To me, that, that's a pretty big difference. Now, Chapman, as we all know, had a great first month and then kind of went in the tank. Had a 660 OPS the rest of the way. So I'm not that confident he's going to get big money. Although, a team like a San Francisco, which could really use some offense, is willing to pay. And he, again, he's tremendous defensively, as we all know. So maybe he does get five years, $100 million from San Francisco. Bellinger, to me, is still fascinating as well. Because to me, he's been the best left-handed slugger on the market. And maybe it's just the Cubs betting against themselves. But to me, it was always Cubs and Jays made the most sense. Now, as you know, Shapiro and Atkins have pretty much made it clear, okay, Toronto's done for business. Uh, whether you like it or not, it's going to be Justin Turner, Daniel Vogelbach, and Isaiah kiner Falefa, and that's it. But again, San Francisco's lurking. Farhan Zaidi has tried to spend money. He tried to sign Judge. He tried to sign Correa. He tried to sign Otani. So I still think San Francisco's sitting there going, no, what, Bellinger's fine. We'll give you $200 million. But does Bellinger want to leave Chicago where he had a phenomenal bounce back season? Like you can hit 306, you know, 27 home runs, 97 RBI. I think mean, this is the place to be. Because in San Francisco, you are not going to hit 30 home runs. There's just no way. Like with those numbers, you're hitting 20, 25 max. And that's a pretty tough wall to overcome unless you're Barry Bonds. So are you willing to sacrifice a little bit of offensive production for perhaps more money and the success of being out west? And I think San Francisco has been obviously a winner in the past. I don't know. But, but I think of those guys, Julian, I still think Snell gets taken care of. I still think Bellinger gets taken care of. Maybe Monty and Chapman got to go smaller deals with a high AAV. Adnan, we're in the early days of baseball season again. The Dodgers are unloading on the San Diego Padres right now. It's 8-1 in the bottom of the fourth right now. I know it's really early, but even with all – I mean – even beyond the games. I mean, we've seen what they've done in the offseason with the additions that they got. There's that big Shohei Otani guy who's on the team now. The Dodgers look like the team to beat. Do you think they can actually do it this year? There's one thing, as we all know, to look like a team to beat and actually being the team. Can they do it? Absolutely. I could totally foresee a situation where the Dodgers win the World Series. I believe their over-under win total, I heard today, was around 103.5. So, I'm pretty confident they're going to win 100 games. I don't know if I would take the over. I might take the under. Okay, 100, 101, that's it. But as we all know, the playoffs is a crapshoot. Like, anything can happen. That's why the Arizona Diamondbacks can somehow go on a run and get to the World Series. You know, they, they, they took care of business against LA in the postseason. Do I think it happens again? Probably not. But, again, it happened at least once. And if it happens once, it's enough reason to feel that it could happen again. Texas is a team in August. Nobody was taking them, right? Their bullpen completely imploded. And they lose that last game of the season. And go, oh, my God, they're done. Can't win the division. It's over. And yet somehow they're going to fly to 
Seattle, fly to Tampa Bay, and they took care of fly to Baltimore, and they took care of business. They flew all over the place and ended up taking care of Houston and going all the way to the World Series and winning it all. So I think L.A., honestly, it's either Atlanta or L.A. that are the prohibitive favorites. Talent top to bottom. You know, you can make an argument Atlanta might be the better team on paper just because their pitching depth might be a little bit better than Los Angeles, especially because Shohei Otani is not going to pitch this year. But L.A.'s offense is just ridiculous. When you actually look at that offense top to bottom and say, oh, my God, like, how are you going to stop these guys? Again, injuries can step up. Guys can have off seasons. You know, things happen. But if you tell me I get Otani, Betts, and Freddie Freeman, that's a pretty tough argument to argue that these guys are not going to be, at the very least, the best in the division, probably the best in the league, and more than likely the best in baseball. But as far as winning the World Series, I mean, say this for L.A. They'll spend the money, which I love. They're a team that's very passionate, great fan base. they got the most fans, biggest attendance in baseball is in L.A. Now, they're going to get 3.5, 3.8 million fans, but they've won one World Series in the last 35 years, and that World Series came in a shortened slash cheapened season in 2020. So I, I, I do think there's an aspect to L.A. of like, hey, put up or shut up. Like, you guys won one. Okay, fine. It was a weird year, COVID year, but let's see you win one over 162. Because they haven't done that since Oral Hershiser and Kirk Gibson all the way back in 88. So they know that all the pressure's on them. You know, Mookie Betts has said that. He goes, we know that everyone's going to be gunning for us, and we're – we're kind of target on our backs, but uh, they're welcoming the challenge for now. So we'll see. How are you feeling about the Toronto Blue Jays, the team that we obviously cover the most here on Sportsnet 960? Uh, Bo Bichette's kind of coming in with a bit of an underdog mentality, it sounds like. You know, going with the, hey, this is the first time this core has been doubted and we've got to prove a lot of people wrong this season. What do you look at when you see this Blue Jays team heading into spring training, Burke? I do think Rumble, he's got a point, like in the past. Toronto was a team that was on the rise. Everyone said, okay, here's my, you know, my sneaky pick to win the AL East or a little bit under the radar. I was like, no, there's nothing sneaky about it. Like everyone said Toronto was loaded, they should win. This year, no one's doing that. And I haven't seen one prognosticator yet say, okay, watch out for the Blue Jays. I think it's Fangraphs has them at 85 wins. They were 89 wins a year ago as an underachiever. So 85, I mean, that's a significant step back. I mean, you're, you're fighting for a final wildcard spot with 85 wins, and they're probably not going to make it considering how loaded the teams are in the AL East and the American League overall. But I do think Toronto can use that mentality to their advantage and say, you know what, one of these days this has to click. How many more years as I think Bo and Vlad, well, this isn't going to work out, right? This, the, the window right now is two years. The Jays got to win it this year or next year, or they risk losing one or both of Bo and Vlad, who are thought to be the cornerstones for the next who knows how many seasons. Yeah, their starting pitching is phenomenal. There's no doubt about it. Gossman is knocking on the door of a Cy Young. Barrios had a massive bounce back season. Bassett pitched 200 innings when of only five pitchers in baseball to do that. And you said Kikuchi was excellent. The highest ERA of those four was Kikuchi at 386. And your number five guy could be Alec Manoa, who again was a disaster. 3 9, 5.87 ERA. But even if he's just serviceable, like give me a four and a half ERA and make 20 quality starts. Give me 130 innings, and I'll take that as a number five starter from Alec Manoa. Ricky Peterman is their number one pitching prospect. He's the number one pitching prospect in that entire division. He's supposed to be a stud. Now, he's got great stuff. Unfortunately, he has battled injuries. Maybe Tiedemann's a guy who could be a number five starter. So, their starting staff is excellent. Bullpen is really good, obviously anchored by Romano. Can they get some more offense? That's really what you look at. When I looked at the numbers for Bowen Vlad, it's not that much off from a season ago. The, the real ones that were disappointing, there's, there's three big ones. Springer had a 102 OPS plus last year. Like that was the lowest of his career. He had the lowest 
uh, on base percentage and the lowest slugging percentage of his career. Springer has got to turn around for the money they're giving him. $20 million a year, still three more years left in that contract. He's now a corner outfielder. Alejandro Kirk, again, for those who don't know, OPS plus means 100 or better is above average. Below that is not good. He was 93. He was 120 a year ago. That's a serious regression. And lastly is Dalton Varsho, who they're thinking getting that trade is an elite defensive fielder, which he is, and they thought an above average offensive player. Wrong in the second one. He was a 95 OPS plus. So I think for good reason, we focus on Bowen Blatt, and those guys can go from being very good to great, and that can overcome some shortcomings. But there's three guys I'm looking at who are underachievers offensively, Springer, Kirk, and Varsho. And it would really help if two of those three bounce back. Again, I'm not asking for great seasons. I'm asking for above-average seasons, which is what you need to get back in the winner's circle and be at least a 90-win team. Uh, before we let you go, I don't know the answer to this question. Usually I do, but the Flyers were in Jersey for an outdoor game, part of the stadium series. Did uh, you or any of the fam get down to go check out your Flyers in the outdoor setting of MetLife Stadium? Excellent question, Logo. As I said to you previously, I do miss the uh, the winter, the snow, no longer being in Canada, but I, I don't miss the cold. I love the snow. I don't <laughs> need the cold. So I, I did contemplate. I was thinking about it all along, and I said, you know what? The vantage point to me, again, like I, I love the idea of the Winter Classic and now the extension of the Stadium Series. I know something's a little overdone. Now, you know, it's 40 games we've seen now. It's a little bit, you know, passe. Yeah. But I think it's cool. But honestly, I think it's really cool on TV. Like, I, I was like, I don't need to venture. I, 25 minutes from my house, I could have gone to MetLife Stadium. Tickets were reasonable, maybe 100 bucks. But I'm like, I'm going to be sitting so far away. And I made sure I checked the forecast. 25 degrees Fahrenheit. I'm like, for three and a half hours, like, no, that's, that's not going to cut it. There's a, I sound like a completely old man, but the combination <laughs> of the traffic and the cold, and again, with young kids, I'll tell you, if my kids were like teenagers and like they were big and like, yeah, whatever, Dad, let's go get after it, fine, but I'm like, my seven-year-old son is going to be frozen, and after the first person that they did, I'm going to need about five hot chocolates and can we go home? So uh, I punted on it, which was perhaps for the best, because my guys did not play well. Airson in particular was a little bit leaky, but bounced back yesterday. 3-1 winner over against Connor Bedard and the Blackhawks, so back in the winner's circle. And pushing Carolina, by the way, for that second spot in the Metropolitan. So, and then a long-winded answer, Logan, I did not go check it out. And by the way, the Flyers have played in the most outdoor hockey games of anybody. They're tied with the Penguins, and I believe the Bruins, if I'm not mistaken. It's either the Pens or the Bruins with the most. They've had like five outdoor games. So it's not like Philly's not going to be playing outdoors anytime soon, but even the Canadian within me will take the warm home atmosphere rather than freezing out there in the cold. Uh, two quick things here. One, how long have you been a Flyers fan? Yeah, great question, Julian. I'll tell it real quick. So my brother, you know, we grew up in Kingston, which is obviously a few hours from Toronto, as you guys know. Um, so it's not like, you know, we're not living in Toronto proper, so you don't have to be a Leafs fan. One of my best friends is a Habs fan, actually, because, you know, Kingston, the 401, on your way to Montreal. But the big thing is this. My brother grew up a huge Oilers guy. Why? Because he's a frontrunner, right? So Oilers are winning everything. He loves Kretzky and Grant Fear, Charlie Huddy, Mark Kretzky, you name it. 85, who they play? The Flyers. So naturally, being Flyers, I just cheered against him. And, you know, after that, the rivalry was born. In 87, it really climaxed. Again, I fell in love with Hextall early on. He was such a fun player and, and so brash and so much fun and so fiery. But I remember, like, literally bawling. I was nine years old. And I said to my dad, this isn't fair. They beat me in 85. They beat me again. I got, he's like, don't worry. Because one day, your team is going to win and you'll be, you'll be vindicated. Fellas, it's been over 40 years. We're waiting for this moment. I'm still like, Dad, this was not good. But the only thing that makes me feel happy is this. It's worse if I made the decision and the Leafs became like perennial Stanley Cup champions. But, of course, that has not happened. Now, I get it. 
Leafs 67, 75 for the Flyers, not great, but still, at least I've seen my team in the Stanley Cup final, right? I've got 97, the memories of Lindros beating Messi, beating Lemieux, and going to the Cup final. Let's not bring up the fact that Red Wings swept. I've got the memories of 2010 after I moved to Connecticut, was working at ESPN. I went to that Bruins-Flyers game, uh, game seven, where they rallied for a 2 nothing deficit. Gagne, power play winner, 4-3. And I see my team in the finals. Let's not bring up Michael Layton again, but Brian Boucher, great run. <laughs> so at, least, at the very least, Julian, I've seen my team in the Stanley Cup final, which, again, I mock all my friends who grew up diehard Leafs fans to say, you know, you guys still cling to 93 and the fact that you lost to the Kings. Like, at least make a couple <laughs> oh, okay? man. That's what I'm hanging my hat on here. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, one other thing. Uh, I've seen you tweet about it. Just really curious uh, about your thoughts on uh, Ashley Baines. Uh, for the Vancouver Canucks making his NHL yeah. debut this week. It's a great story, man. Obviously, being of South Asian heritage, you know, my parents were born in Pakistan. They emigrated long ago to Canada back in 72. But it's awesome to see, man. Like, I, I remember being in Toronto and interviewing Nazim Kadri, and that was a big deal, you know, being Muslim, being the first Muslim hockey player playing for the Leafs, talking to Brian Burke about how cosmopolitan and multicultural Toronto is and Canada is. And this is like, you know, bringing in a new market. And to see him there as well, being, I mean, you know, for, for the Sikh community, for the Punjabi community, it, it's awesome to see, man. It was really, really cool. I, I saw some tweets about it, and uh, I hope I get to talk to him at some point, interview him a little bit, because it's, you know, representation matters. And I, and I think, it, you know, it doesn't even necessarily impact what he's able to do in the league, but just seeing someone who kind of looks like you, it, it's so powerful and it's so notable. And I'm always touched by people I meet of South Asian descent or any visible minorities who say, you know what, I didn't see brown faces like yours, and I saw yours, and I wanted to go to sports or broadcasting i just think it's the coolest thing so um it's really awesome to see it, man it, it, it's a it's a 10 pole moment and and hockey should be for everybody and um it was awesome i just had a lot of pride seeing it burke always appreciate the time man have yourself a great week we'll do it again next week all right logo julian be well boys take care take care and then vert joining us down the atlas beach and sports bar guest hotline from mlb network nhl network and the cinephile podcast uh, Julian, that puts a wrap on a very quick two hours of the program today. They fly by, and I have fun the entire time. It's just that beautiful face across from me that makes it just zip by as quickly as can be. Is you talking about uh, the producers? No, looking Shane, right at you, man. Shane for right G? Right at you. J-Mac, it gets me through the day. Wow, okay. Well, <laughs> I, I got to say, uh, I'm very flattered. <laughs> Thank you for thinking. You are, a, you are a handsome person Shan's yourself. Shan's over there all upset about that. It's okay. Yeah, Shan's a little bit jealous. Yeah, it's okay. A, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's Julian McKenzie. I'm Logan Gordon uh, signing off for the afternoon. You got the Flames and the Bruins coming your way tonight from the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. Uh, if you missed anything on a very busy program, Lots of Flames talking hour one, including a look at the Flames prospect pool rankings with Scott Wheeler from The Athletic. Ailish Forfar joined us an hour two, as well as our chat with Adnan Verk. You can check us out on the podcast wherever you get your favorite pods. Thanks to Cam and Shan for their great work as our producers this afternoon. Steinberg's got you for Flames talk later. Warm up at six, puck drop at seven on your home of the Flames. This is Sportsnet 960, The Fan.